0: What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate.
1: Chevron 7 locked.
2: Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 121, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG 1's episode Unnatural Selection.
3: Unnatural Selection.
2: Consider it unnatural. But not like this podcast. This is not unnatural, this is an independent podcast. I don't know if I can do this. Um, if you'd like <laughs> to support the show and not be a Sith, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate, spelled precisely as it should be. We've got tiers. We've got privileges and stuff. Uh, we are inching ever closer to uh, one of the milestones that we have said. Uh, I'll let Zach talk more about that in a bit. And uh, one of the privileges that people get is some Patreon-first content. Uh, we will put some podcasts that we create uh on patreon first one of them is the other side of the gate zach and david talk about uh spoilery stuff that i can't listen to uh i usually just put the audio files in place and like walk away i don't even read i, I copy and paste the description so if there's typos i don't know i have no idea it's fine <laughs> one thing that zach and i do uh also on patreon is stargate second chances based off of votes that y'all get patreon supporters get um we re had Uh, Recently done the Stargate movie, Uh, Zach let me know last week we have a responsibility and a joy, a privilege to watch season two episode whatever, Bane, again. We haven't scheduled that time yet. Um,
3: Episode 10, Brent.
2: Episode 10. Uh, Truth be told, it's probably going to be a few weeks before we get to it um, as I'm kind of thinking about things. But point is, it's coming. Our rewatch of Bane is upon us. Uh and if you want access to those episodes like right now, uh then you can become a Patreon subscriber, Patreon supporter as well and you'll get access to all that stuff. Uh but if you don't want to become a Patreon supporter or you just can't or whatever for any reason at all, you don't have to worry because we adore putting up all of our content for people to enjoy and so uh eventually all those episodes end up on the main feed anyway uh we typically do it over times where we have some breaks like what's going to be coming up here i'm going on vacation zach
3: you are
1: that's exciting I i haven't
2: done an august vacation in 15 or 16 years um it's been a while and i'm excited and uh zach is also going on vacation i am And unfortunately, we did not plan our vacations well enough because I'm on vacation and then he's on vacation. (laughs) That is a true (laughs) statement. (laughs) And so uh, we will, there's going to be a little bit of radio silence for a couple of weeks and then we'll put um, Other Side of the Gate episode six on our uh, feed towards the third week of August or something. And then we'll be back. And where can you find our podcasts? I, I should rewrite that thing. You, dear listener, have already found it. When... Your good friend leans back in their seat, looks up into the sky, and takes a deep breath and just lets out all of their frustrations as they say, I, I, I just wish I could find more Stargate podcasts. I just don't, I don't, I'm lost. I'm, I'm empty. I don't know where, can you help me? You can look at them and you can say, Friend, I can help you. Need to go find Walking Through the Stargate. You can find them on Google Podcasts or Apple's Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or even your favorite podcast aggregator. Here you go. And they're going to look at you and they're going to be like, I've never had a truer friend. It's going to be beautiful. Just beautiful. So beautiful.
3: There's a tear in my eye as you speak.
2: You know who else brings a tear to my eye? It's our supporters on Patreon. Yes, we got a couple of thank yous. Yes, we did. Special thank you to Matthew. And a special thank you to Roger for joining up. We really appreciate your support and we hugely appreciate everybody who has been supporting us since the beginning of our Patreon thing, which is about, I guess, half. No, not quite halfway. A little more than halfway. Whatever. We've been doing this for like three years. Oh, no, it is halfway. We've been doing this for about three years. We started Patreon about a year and a half ago. Thanks, everybody. For being with us this whole time, it's been great. Uh, and if you want a special thank you, uh, then you can you can do that by going over to Patreon.com/slash Walking Through the Stargate. Now, Zach, if yes. a person uh, s- listened to my sort of dramatic, uh, you know, foretelling about what's going to occur when they and their v- dearest friends are uh, trying to find excellent podcasts. Uh, content related to Stargate. And they, they heard my description and it, and it spoke to them in a way that like strikes a powerful chord deep down inside. And they want to reach out and they want to say, Brent, that was brilliant. That was so good. How, how might they tell me that?
3: So, dear listeners, if you need more tips from brent on how to wrangle your friends into what listening to the most awesomest walking through the stargate podcast ever made <laughs> you can do that by emailing us at walking through the at gmail.com which is exactly as it, you'd expect it to be
1: oh oh
2: excellent i approve of the of the of the switcheroo
3: R at gmail.com
2: very good very good I was still content with uh just letting you just like leave us hanging there
3: yeah I know but and I thought about that <laughs> but me. then but then you know I didn't want anybody to send complaints my direction <laughs> So, if you have any complaints about our podcast, send them on Twitter to Stargate Walking. Oh, yeah, that's true. If you have any kudos or if you want to celebrate <laughs> anything, if you want to say how awesome we are, go ahead and go to Facebook, to the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and the Facebook group. And if you just want to see everything that we have done on the website, you can go to WTTS.space. And that will get you all that information.
2: I'm the worst. I'm the worst. It's a good thing that I'm not a web content creator, because that would be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: so so it's it's one thing when your like nine to five job is to create I websites. I suppose. It's another true. thing when you're doing the best you can with your other nine to five job and trying to do fun hobby things on the side.
2: Yes. And, and when those fun hobby things, also the time for that also gets sucked up by other responsibilities. And then oh. you're ending up with precisely 10 minutes and you're like, I
3: don't want to figure out how to make this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And as Brent said, you can, of course, go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate and you can uh, become a supporter of the podcast there. We've got lots of tears. Um, you know, nobody has taken us up on that $25 a month gate marathoner that's true uh tier um if that's where you're at i would say wow thank you well it would give you the
2: ability to demand a rewatch like every two months
3: that is a true statement because as a gate marathoner you get five votes a month and when a TV, uh, an episode gets 10 votes we rewatch it, so that's yeah. a lot of power there.
2: That's that's right. You um, would basically be able to dictate the Stargate Second Chances like path.
3: Yeah. Wow. There's mm-hmm. some pretty special, you know. With great power comes great responsibility.
2: Ooh, you know what? I'm totally, I'm totally, I'm totally gonna shill this one out here. Here we go. Here's here's the other here's the other fact, friends. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know, man, twenty five dollars a month is a lot. Let me just tell you this thing, too. I mentioned that we also have, um, uh, shoot, not tiers. Uh, What am I trying to say? Um, Not benchmarks, but milestones. Goals. Milestones. Thank you. Whatever. One of them is tantalizingly close. If we get to a particular dollar amount per month. That dollar amount
3: is $75 per month
2: have pledged that we would watch Stargate Infinity, the infamous animated series and then do a special podcast for those episodes, Patreon first, then on the main feed. Friend if you, yes you. Were even briefly saying to yourself, I mean, I could do 25 a month. I mean, it's a lot, but you know, I could do it. Your contribution would put us over that threshold.
3: That is a true statement. A very So true not only statement. would
2: you be able to, every other month, get to decide what Stargate Second Chances episode happens, (laughs) you also would be able to uh, implement the uh, Stargate Infinity uh, watching and and thing. You would basically be an executive producer for 25 bucks a month.
3: That is a very significant uh, role. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like Richard Dean
2: Anderson yes. only for podcasts
3: <laughs> if you want to be Richard Dean Anderson for our podcast it'll cost
2: $25 a month oh my gosh that is hilarious ah. oh boy oh, oh you know what um, I, uh, I think that if uh, whoever whoever's the first person to do this there's, there's a caveat on this one If you, listener, are the person that makes that happen, if you become the $25 a month Patreon subscriber that pops us over the edge with that one, being the very first person, I will create a special page on our website. I will do this. And you can give me whatever photo you want to have represent you. And we can say a very special thanks to our Richard Dean Anderson. The Richard Dean Anderson. Exa- it's like a named chair at a college. <laughs> 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 oh, that would be so
3: much fun. So oh, much fun. Oh,
2: man. Anyway, that's where we're at with that. Oh, yeah.
3: Fun. So... um, Speaking of episode tallies and whatnot, as you mentioned before, Brent, we will be doing an episode of Second Chances on the episode Bane mm-hmm. as soon as we can get our schedules, which probably won't happen until after we're both back from vacation. Yeah, it's probably just the end of August. the reality that's, of that yeah, situation. Right. However, we do have a few that are getting tantalizingly close to a, mm. another segment. we got Children of the Gods, which is the pilot episode, uh, has six, episode, uh, six, six episodes, six votes. The Knox has five votes. Uh, Forever in a Day has also five votes. Mm -hmm. So those are our top levels there. So uh, uh, thank you to those who have voted. Those of you who have received emails for July and haven't already sent in your votes, you are welcome to do so still. Please uh, send those in and let me know where you're going to vote for. Mm -hmm. All right. Brent. Yes. Shall we transition the podcast from where we are to where we need to go? How much
2: time are we going to be giving ourselves for this transition?
3: You know, mere moments.
2: But if we do some time dilation, we can have years.
3: Well, you know, with the right type of equipment, you can make anything happen. Let's make this thing happen. Okay, so... The background facts for Unnatural Selection begins with the director, who was Andy Makita. This is Andy's second of three directing credits this season. His first directing credit this season was Cure. Mm -hmm. The story for Unnatural Selection was written and and created by Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright. There Mm -hmm. is a tiny excerpt that got credited that was written by Jeffrey F. King. We haven't heard Mm -hmm. that name in a while. The teleplay for this episode was by Brad Wright. This is Brad's second writing credit this season out of three. His first writing credit this season came in Abyss. Uh We have several guest actors for this episode. Uh, We start with Ian Buchanan, who played first. Uh He was born in 1957 in Scotland. Uh, When he was a teen, he worked as a bellhop.
1: Uh
3: Um, Now, sadly, when he was 14, both his parents died relatively suddenly. Uh, Each of them had been fighting alcoholism to some degree, Mm. Uh, The implication in where I was getting this is that it was the alcoholism that led to their deaths, but it's hard to tell. Uh, The net result of this is that he, along with his siblings, were uh, stuck without parents, and that meant his dreams of coming to the United States were put on hold.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Now... A little while later, he did go vacationing in Spain, and a photographer noticed him—a professional photographer—and thus began his career as a model, which brought him international esteem.
1: Hmm. Uh Uh,
3: Later in the '80s, he moved to New York City, and he studied acting at Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, and this led to his breakout role as Duke Lavery on General Hospital in 1986.
1: Uh Uh,
3: This role became his launchpad to a host of television opportunities. He played that for a few years in the 80s, and then he came back at several times, even as late as 2020, to reprise that role. Uh Uh, His career is uh, built around predominantly working in soap operas, uh, but he's also done lots of guest roles on various TV shows and some movies and such. Uh, this is his only Stargate credit, however. hmm And his first role on IMDb was, in fact, General Hospital. So there you go. Yep. Gotcha. We have Christina Copeland, who plays Second. Uh, she was mm-hmm. born in 73 in British Columbia. She is an actress known for 88 Minutes, Savage Island, and also Stargate SG-1. We've mm-hmm. actually seen her before. She was in the episode "Upgrades." She played the waitress at the bar. Um, mm. So the "Upgrades" is the one that they got those armbands that made them super fast, right?
2: Oh yeah, sexy Topher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep.
3: And uh, they they uh, escape the the SGC facility and they go to get steaks. And of course, they right. have a bar fight. The yes. waitress in that was Christina Copeland. So, gotcha. Um. So her first IMDb credit came in 1995 in the ep- in the movie Lourdes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her character name was Nasty Assistant Director. Okay. And I thought, okay. Th- there's got to be more to the story. And so I clicked on that to see what Lured was about. And Wait. there is almost no information about it. There's no plot <laughs> synopsis. There's gotcha. no nothing about it. There's just, <laughs> these are the people who were in it. I'm like, okay, so...
2: <laughs> Funny.
3: Uh so we will uh, move on. Mm-hmm. Uh Tamil Pennicett plays mm-hmm. third. He's the son of a former Yukon premier, Anthony David John mm mm-hmm. Um he's a graduate of Victoria uh, of the Victoria Motion Picture School. And he also studied at the Lyric School of Acting in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's probably best known for his role as Carl Hilo Agathon on Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Uh, That is, in fact, the character uh, from which I named one of our cats. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that cat died several years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We still have Vala, who is named after the character from Stargate SG-1. But there you go. Uh, He's also known as playing the character Paul Ballard in the Joss Whedon show Dollhouse. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen Dollhouse? I have. Okay. Yes. Um, and he played Gadriel on Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, here in this episode, we have, you know, replicators becoming humans, uh, which is at least in part, I've got to think, uh, a nod to or at least and a- an acceptance of the idea that Battlestar Galactica did that says, hey, this might not be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've got that. We can talk more about that in a bit. Now, according to IMDB, his first credit was in 1996 in the TV movie The Cold Heart of a Killer. However, when you look it up, it looks like he was like an extra in this TV movie. Mm -hmm. So like he was in the background of like one scene all fuzzy and blurry. (laughs) So <laughs> But he was, there. he was there. He
2: he paused he paused the VCR and he ran up to the television, and he pointed, and he
3: looked at his parents and he's like, That's me. <laughs> so so I'm gonna say that his first IMDB credit actually came in 2002. not too long before this episode aired. Uh-huh. Uh huh. the TV series Glory Days, in the episode No G- No Guts, No Glory, he played Eric Forrester. Mm-hmm. So that was Tam O'Pennickett. We have Rebecca Reichert, who plays fourth. She is an actress known for The Perfect Storm, Firewall, and SG-1. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have much more information about her. She did not have an especially long career. Uh, Her first IMDb credit came in 1997 uh, in the TV series Breaker High, where she Mm -hmm. played, in three different episodes, three different characters. Mm-hmm. In Rooming Violations, she played Deck Girl number two. In mm-hmm. Chateau lefit Jumet, she played Bike Girl. And in That Lip Sinking Feeling, she plays Shelly Girl number two. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. All right. And we, now she's
2: playing fourth. And
3: now she's playing fourth. <laughs> yep. Uh, we have G. Patrick Curry, who plays fifth. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's an actor and writer known for Faces in the Crowd, Valentine, and, of course, Stargate Mm -hmm. SG-1. He's also been seen on various shows like Battlestar Galactica, Supernatural, Mm -hmm. Smallville, and others. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will actually see Curry again in future episodes as other characters. Gotcha. Um, In fact... Uh, There will be a future episode where we will uh, see a character that we have known from the past, but Curry will be playing that character. Hmm. Uh, Admittedly, that character is wearing prosthetics, so you don't actually see his face. Okay. So, a little bit of thought can probably help you figure out who we're talking about there, but... Well, I got an idea, but carry on. Okay. I don't want to spoil anything. All right. Uh, Curry's first IMDb credit came in 1995 in the short Dirty Windows, and he plays Alex in okay. that.
2: Okay. Very there good. Go.
3: And then, of course, we have uh, Shannon Powell, who plays Sixth. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an actress known for Blade Trinity, SG-1, mm-hmm. and Fringe. Mm-hmm. She also has a relatively short career, as far as I could tell. Uh, her first IMDb credit came in 1992 in the TV series Neon Writer, uh, and there were just several episodes when she was in that, and that's what I have. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, other people that we uh, are going note, note here, uh, Har- Harley Jane Kozak plays Sarah O'Neill in that very brief excerpt from Cold Lazarus.
1: Uh-huh. Uh
3: That's the excerpt that Jeffrey F. King wrote. He wrote that episode way long ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
3: Um, so she's just in that Charlie and that's as far as it yep. gets. Yep. Uh we've of course got Dan Shea and Gary Jones playing Siler and Harriman respectively. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have the man, Michael Shanks, reprising the voice of Thor. Yeah. Buddy, Thor! Hey, little fella. <laughs> hey, little fella. <laughs> Alright. So The original air date for this episode is a little bit on the confusing side. So beginning with this episode, well, let me get some backstory here. Uh, So at the beginning of season six, SG-1 moves from Showtime to Sci-Fi Channel. Mm -hmm. Well, in the U.S., uh, the the shows are on Sci-Fi Channel. However, Mm -hmm. in the U.K., they are on Sky-1. Mm -hmm. And so Sky One and Sci-Fi Channel begin to air these episodes at different times and on different dates.
2: Gotcha.
3: (laughs) So the original air date for this episode in the UK was December 4, 2002. Yeah. But it did not air in the US until January 10, 2003. Gotcha. Almost a month, a little more than a month later. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. So as we move forward, this is going to be true for uh, the rest of season six and then for various chunks in seven, eight, nine and forward. All Mm -hmm. right. So sometimes they're going to be at the same time and sometimes they're going to be at different times. So to make things easier for myself. I will uh, note both original air dates, but then continue with the rest of the stuff as if uh, focusing on the U.S. air date because I am a U.S. American centric. (laughs)
2: Um, I approve of your plan also because it is it is uh, it it favors me. Um, However, uh, I will also defend that by saying, look, sometimes just having a nice bright line is, you know, Some people are not going to be happy about it. That's true. But at least it's easier for us to navigate around all of us, including the people that don't like it. So,
3: yep. Now, at this point in time, at least for this date, um, I haven't decided for sure what I'm going to do moving forward. But for today, I will tell you what the UK uh, was listening to in December of 2002. Yeah. Uh, Okay. so. On December 4, 2002, the, in the UK, they were listening to If You're Not The One by Daniel Bedding Field.
2: Okay. It's got to uh, be gotta uh, be a gushy song.
3: Uh, you know, so Julie made me listen to that the other day, and there's this guy. He is like a contra tenor. He's just singing up there in the stratosphere. And I'm like, gotcha. holy smokes. Uh, in the UK, oh, I'm sorry, in the US on January 10th, they were listening to listening to Lose Yourself by Eminem. Uh-huh. So, if you're not the one, well, lose yourself. That's just the way it works. One
0: shot. That got dark.
3: <laughs> uh, in any case. One moment in the UK they were listening to If You're Not I'm the sure. One in December, but in January, yeah, in the yeah. box office we were listening to Just Married and if you are not the one, then you will not now. be Just Married. Oh, I see. Okay. However, uh, uh-huh. if you are married then you might be forced to take your spouse to see The two Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, because you like it and your spouse doesn't. She's not the one. Is
2: the Lord of the Rings.
3: Well, you know, whatever. It does, you know. Uh, then, uh, oh, we've got Catch Me if you can So if she's not the one Don't try to catch her She's not the one
2: mm-hmm. I, I suppose that's
3: true Yes, yes yep, That's right Yep, yep, yep Two weeks notice is number four um, And so if your job is not the one Just give him the two weeks notice That. Yeah, uh, okay, yep And all of this is really just about Schmidt I... See that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I.
2: <laughs>
3: and here we are. <laughs> awesome. All right. Nice. So, what was happening around January 10, 2003? Well, you know, because this is fuzzy and this has been a hiatus of time because the last episode aired in like August. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump back in a little bit. So we're going to start with November 25. Okay. Uh, On November 25, the Academy Award winning actor Nicolas Cage, who was 38, files for divorce from the princess of rock and roll Lisa Marie Presley, who is 34 due to irreconcilable differences after a whopping three months of marriage.
2: Yeah. mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So here's a hint, folks. If you're kind of thinking that in three months after getting married, you're going to be filing divorce for irreconcilable differences, then those things existed three months in the past. So don't get married in the first place.
2: And they were hoping that getting married would solve their problems.
3: I refer back to the UK song. If you're not the one. (laughs) See, previous. All right. On December 9, Star Trek Nemesis, film, mm-hmm. uh, the Star Trek Nemesis film directed by Stuart Baird and starring Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and many, many others, premieres.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this nice.
3: is the last of the Star Trek uh, movies starring the Next Generation cast.
2: Mm-hmm. And the last, yeah, isn't it the last Prime Universe Star Trek film? Mm-hmm. Yep. We haven't had another yep. Prime Universe one yet. Yep.
3: We haven't. Um, nope. So on December 17, the Second Congo War, the mm. Congolese mm-hmm. parties of the Inter-Congolese Dialogue sign a peace accord which makes provision for transitional governance and legislative and presidential elections within two years. Mm. That's good. That is good. Uh, speaking of the two towers, mm-hmm. on December 18, the two towers... Uh, is released uh, worldwide. It makes $62 million in the opening week in the US mm-hmm. and $926 million total worldwide.
2: Mm-hmm. Very profitable. Well, I was about to say profitable and there's like movie accounting which is very different than... It made a
3: lot of money. It made a lot of money. Uh, I'm pretty certain that all three of those movies made a lot of money and were reasonably profitable. Mm. Now, on December 23, just a couple of days before Christmas, it's Christmas Eve Eve, if you will.
2: Christmas Eve Eve.
3: An MQ-1 Predator is shot down, is shot down by an Iraqi MiG-25, mm. making it the first time in history that an aircraft and a modern unmanned drone had engaged in combat.
2: Oh, yeah, okay.
3: So, on December 28... LinkedIn is founded by Reid Hoffman and others in Mountain View, California. Yeah. So all of you who have decided that you need to put your LinkedIn profile out there so that you can get job interviews and all of that stuff, it begins in 2002, December 28.
2: And I guess I didn't really appreciate that it predates Facebook. Oh, yeah. Because Facebook got started in its earliest days in 2004, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It didn't go public until much later, too. hmm Interesting. Yep. And then, on January 10, the day this episode airs in the U.S., NBA announces that Charlotte, North Carolina, is, has been awarded an NBA expansion franchise to be known as the Charlotte Bobcats. hmm uh-huh. And they start play in 2004 and five. However, eventually, they will change their name to the Charlotte Hornets in the 2014-15 season. Gotcha. There you go.
2: There you, ha- there you have it.
3: Okay. So, we've got some trivia stuff about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Carter tells O'Neill that they cannot name the X-303 the Enterprise. Of right. course, part of it is just the funniness of, of all of, you know, the... the Star Trek Enterprise, Next Generation, and you know original series, all that stuff. At the same time, however, uh, there have already been a few ships. Uh, There's a shuttle named Enterprise. There's also a some. There's is there an aircraft carrier named Air Enterprise as well? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with all of that, you know. Also with Star Trek, they use. uh, naval ranks and such and the the air force and the navy they kind of have you know a uh, friendly rivalry we'll call it a friendly yes. rivalry yep, uh, with true. all of those types of things so so for all mm-hmm. of those reasons and of course the most funny duh you can't name the X303 the enterprise yep although it would be I cool mean, if they had that's true um so uh this episode was originally titled x-303 part two Mm. um but that was boring and so they went with something else
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
3: (laughs) yeah especially because the episode is not about the x-303 no it's not the first one is legitimately about the x-303 so calling it x-303 part one or something like that would make sense prometheus i think is a better name yes i agree but uh it's not ridiculous um so I have a whole bunch of stuff here about the various time dilation things. Um yeah. suffice it to say things are kind of wonky uh with the time dilation and how things would actually work and fu- factor and function um going in and out of the the things and how much time they had and didn't have. It's hard to tell. Um yes. I I mean if you really want to get into it Brent we can um for me and my my uh time i'm perfectly content accepting the fact that uh they intended to slow things down and the replicator sped things up and it got weird and then leave it at that um i'm a
2: hundred percent okay with you know waving hands over the script and going the math doesn't the 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 words don't know that that, wrong don't listen to the words just just go with the intent
3: yes exactly
2: yes fine with that
3: okay uh, but I will acknowledge that uh the the math uh doesn't necessarily play out um although one person did or you know some say that uh you know if depending on um when the replicators shifted gears on the time dilation and sped things up in their space mm-hmm. um you know Carter says depending on how long it could be hundreds of years um and While that is theoretically possible, uh, based on what they said, it was only going to be, you know, uh, multiple days, months, maybe a year or two, uh, not hundreds of years, based on the amount of time that it had been slowed down. Mm -hmm. Um, And while it kind of implies that they've been in there for hundreds of years, honestly, we have no idea. We know that they have gone through six iterations of... Replicator, human form replicators, mm-hmm. and they have eaten up enough stuff that they're sending all of the other blocks to just kind of chill out on the surface. Um, but that could have happened legitimately in a period of you know hours or days or months. It would not have had to be um, the hundreds of years initially that that she. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, uh, here I am. Since I wasn't going to talk about this, and now I'm talking about it. The irony is not lost <laughs> on my ears.
2: <laughs> um, you just can't let a good technical error go.
3: I can't. Well, so it's like it's when you complain about a technical error and you make an assumption that it might be implied but doesn't have to be implied and doesn't actually change the math because we don't know what the generational lifespan is for the development of a human form replicator.
2: It is perfectly. Trivial for a person who knows how to do the math correctly, big important distinction. It is trivial for a person who knows how to do the math correctly to redo the math and remake the words that come out of the people's mouths to make it work out such that replicators go onto planet, trap is sprung, trap is attempted to be sprung, but unfortunately it gets taken away, the trap is reversed, and then some period of time sufficient enough for replicators to eat away at basically everything replicate all the way up, you know, piles of replicators and then generate six or six generations worth of human-like type things have occurred. Pick your number. Let's call it 200 years. How much time then is required? Uh, outside of that sphere of influence dial it up or down depending on your plot point and bang you're right back to where you started
3: right and my point also is that it wouldn't have to be 200 years um sure you know honestly it could be uh you know 70 first well heck first could have been built and then three days later they built second and then three days after that they built third uh they are definitely the type of people that would make snap decisions about fifth and say oh you're broken we're not gonna do that again and you know we don't know there's
2: two ways two ways to go about this where it kind of doesn't matter fine they screwed up the math but instead of like burying the episode because they got the math wrong you could describe it two different ways and you'd be fine
3: yep all right so this episode was nominated for a Leo Award for Best Director of a Dramatic Series Mm -hmm. mm-hmm it was also nominated for a Leo Award for Best Visual Effects in a Dramatic Series Mm mm-hmm nice so Uh, And now I have a quote from Joe Malazzi. Yeah. He says, although I liked the replicators when they were first introduced, I felt a little of them went a long way, which was why I loved their evolution into human form.
1: Mm -hmm. Same
3: villain, but new, improved, and far more dangerous. Mm -hmm. What made this very good episode great was O'Neill's double cross of the all-too-trusting fifth. Mm -hmm. Was he right to do it? Sure, an argument could be made for the fact that his actions do contain the replicator threat, but would we have been better served taking him with us? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I loved about SG-1. Sometimes, amid the high adventure and human humor, there were situations that offered no easy answers. Mm-hmm. So, and then, the Russians titled this oh. episode, Unnatural Selection. Mm -hmm. The Hungarians, the Czech, the Spanish, all did the same. Mm -hmm. The Germans even followed suit and called this unnatural selection. Mm -hmm. Now, the Italians went with the still time.
2: Oh, yeah. mm -hmm,
3: And the French went with evolution. Yep. Okay. Um, Now, not to spoil this too much, but there is actually an episode in the future that is entitled evolution sure and now i'm really curious as to what the french call that episode
2: evolution part two
3: okay all right (laughs) more evolution more (laughs) a different kind of evolution
2: evolutions plural
3: (laughs) evolutionary yeah there we go all right are you ready for the synopsis did you get to the Germans? Did I miss the Germans? I said the Germans. Also said unnatural selection. Dang it.
2: They didn't say jack lies.
3: No. No. All so right. Brent, are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah, let's get into it. Alright, no. here we go. Previously on Stargate SG-1. So there was this android whose father made her wrong. You're, uh, she you're m- made...
2: You're bad
3: i can't remember what jackson yeah he he
2: says your father that. made you wrong that's right and i was i had a lot of problems with that
3: but anyway carry on sorry she made replicators as toys and nearly lost control of them for a second time she lost control of them the first time many many years ago anyway yes o'neill kills the android and saves the day the Asgoid asgard study her to see if she'll help them against the replicators Also, the Prometheus was hijacked, but SG-1 also fixed that problem, except now they're stranded in an unknown section of space, but the Asgard save their day and ask them for assistance. The replicators have come. And now, a natural selection. Yeah. Thor's report to SG-1 goes something like this. Uh, We took that broken robot you gave us and used it to call all the replicators to the planet of Hala, you know, the first world of the Asgard. This kind of explains why they appear to have lost the war. Who am I to judge? But all is not lost. They had a plan. They set up a time dilation device to trap the replicators in a bubble of space that goes super duper slow. Sounds like a great plan. And if it had worked, it had been would have given the Asgard hundreds, if not thousands of years to figure out a solution to the problem of the rel- replicators. Unfortunately, it didn't. Work. The device didn't go off as expected. And that's bad news. But the good news is the Asgard have friends who are dumb enough to be able to help. (laughs) Well, okay. It's not that they're dumb, it's just that they're technologically inferior their ship very different which isn't very good and doesn't work as it should and frankly isn't even finished is precisely the type of ship needed to fly into replicator controlled territory figure out what went wrong with the time dilation device and fix it even as thor tries to convince colonel o'neill uh that he should do this he tows the prometheus back to earth o'neill is resistant but that doesn't stop Thor from beaming up the entire contents of the SGC Armory onto the Prometheus, as well as the foodstuffs, even with ice cream. Jack tries ben to... Ben
2: and Jerry's ice cream, ben no less. Ben
3: and Jerry's ice cream. Nice little product replacement there. Yeah, I, I noticed. Yep. Jack tries to explain to the Asgard Supreme Commander that the decision isn't up to him. He needs to get approval. Thor responds by towing the Prometheus out of Earth orbit and towards Hala. You can talk to your superiors en route. It'll take a long time to get there. So Jack uses a holographic communicator to contact General Hammond, and after briefing him on the situation, he suggests the general hit number one on the speed dial. Hammond is confused as to why Jack wants him to contact his grandchildren, so Jack amends hit number two Chairman and the president agree that this is a task they need to do, given the severity of the situation. But they did not agree to Jack's other proposal. No, you cannot name the X-303 the Enterprise. No, no, no. no. The team decides to eat some food, starting with the ice cream, because you know Thor brought along enough food for the journey, but neglected to think about the need for refrigeration. Uh, Apparently, they forgot to put the refrigerators in, that was like on next week's task for the (laughs) X-303. Anyway, while eating the ice cream, they feel the ship slow down and return to the bridge to figure out what's going on. Well, they slowed down because they have reached Hala and they have gone as far as they can with Thor's ship, lest the replicators attack. And unfortunately, the situation is far worse than they originally thought. The time dilation field was in fact activated, but the replicators did something to it. It's not slower in the field as it's supposed to be. Instead, the replicators have sped time up in the field. In a tiny fraction of time for everyone else, the replicators have experienced perhaps hundreds of years. Hundreds. Or whatever amount of time it needs to do what they need to do. Suffice it to say, this is not a good situation Thor wishes them good luck and sends them on their way to try to stop the replicators. You got this! Go for it! Alright. SG-1 flies near Hala and is scanned by a replicator patrol ship. Fortunately, their ship is in fact inferior and nobody cares about it, and therefore ignored by the replicators. Hurdle 1 jumped. They enter the atmosphere and land on the planet, but there is nothing on the surface except a lone building not too far away. And after a brief investigation, they discover that the whole planet is covered in replicator blocks several layers thick. This could be a problem. hmm They enter the building and find the time dilation device in the center of the big room. Sam begins work on it, but is interrupted when a man suddenly appears. Then five more human-like persons appear. The elder man demands that Carter stop her work. Jack replies simply that, uh, well, they need to continue to work to stop the replicators, which are all over the place. By the way, who are you people? And they reply, you must stop your work because we are replicators. (gasps) Oh, yeah, okay, and with that, O'Neill unloads his weapon, firing at these human form replicators. Jonas and Tilk follow suit. But to no avail, the bullets just seem to go straight through them without any damage to them whatsoever. Drat. And then, mm. if that weren't bad enough, an army of bug like replicators begin to swarm the space surrounding our heroes. Oh, no, no. The man offers his hand to O'Neill in a gesture of peace. Maybe, who knows, possibly. And when O'Neill cautiously takes it, he is brought to his knees and then experiences the old hand-in-the-head routine by replicator <laughs> number one.
2: <laughs> For a brief moment, I thought you were going to say beige. Beige. Experience
3: beige. Oh, I could have gone that route. Nobody knows what you're talking about there, except you and me. And a handful of other no, people. No,
2: I bet you like probably another three people listening are like, I know. All and right. they think it's hilarious. So,
3: dear listener. Oh, dear. It's not that funny if you have to explain it. Go, I'm go not, look it I'm up. not going to explain it. I'm going to ask, dear listener, if you know what we're talking about when we say experience beige. Email us or send something on Facebook or Twitter or something. Let us know because I'm curious. Who mm-hmm. knows? Experience beige. Anyway, experience beige back to the synopsis, you the one who's reading the synopsis now. <laughs> <laughs> Continue reading. Okay, okay. Jack finds himself in the gate room and the man who stuck his hand in his head is there, too. The replicator tells him that they are in O'Neill's unconscious mind. Eerily, the replicator starts to read O'Neill's mind, starting with his iris deactivation code and continuing with a replay of the death of Jack's son. Don't do that again, by the way! The two go through an imaginary stargate, and the replicator leader tells O'Neill that they will go on a journey to every place you've ever been. Yikes! Yowzer. SG-1 wakes up back on the Prometheus... They each have a massive hangover, which is understandable given the replicators drove their fingers through their skulls to read their minds. But there's not much to be done at this point in time, so Jack tells Sam, hey, rig the hyperdrive engine to explode, perhaps we can destroy those human form replicators in the process. Maybe. But Jonas doesn't think a bomb is the right answer, understandable given Jonas's history, and suggests they try reasoning with the replicators instead, but O'Neill is unconvinced. When they finally get to, execute, get to the point where they're going to execute the plan, they meet one of the human form replicators who calls himself Fifth. He's in the engine room talking to Sam, and he seems different than the others. He smiles more, and he seems to be more compassionate. He, after all, carried each one of the humans back to the ship so that they would be more comfortable. Fifth tells them that they are invited for a meal with the other human form replicators back at the temple. He also says exploring the ship would only feed energy to the replicators and would be a bad idea. Fifth leaves, and Carter suggests they try to find out as much as they can about the evolved replicators and try to report back to Thor. So, SG-1 returns to the building, and first tells them about their history and construction. First explains that, Instead of the large replicator blocks, they consist of billions of microscopic cell units. It was these microscopic cell structure that allowed first to exploit a tiny flaw in the neutronium casing around the time dilation device to shut it off before it went off and then restart it in service of their own nefarious plan. Note... The bad guys never think their plans are nefarious, but since we're the good guys and we know that they're the bad guys, we can still call it nefarious. Yes. They modeled themselves on the form of their creator, Reese, the android, who was broken and made wrong. There are currently six of the human form replicators. Jack quips that they were modeled after a robot that was broken, and first does admit that they tried to fix that problem with the creation of Fifth. But look at Fifth, he's weak. So they weren't going to try that again. That's dumb. Don't do that. But the replicators aren't finished with the humans. Fifth and Sixth, after all, haven't had a chance to explore any of the minds of SG-1. And everyone else wants a turn with all of the minds. So there's that to look forward to. Carter volunteers to let Fifth enter her mind. However, instead, Fifth brings Carter into his own subconscious mind so that he can communicate secretly with her. Carter says Fifth is more like humans than replicators. He says the other replicators will destroy him if he tries to help them. She says if he will help her repair the time dilation system, uh, the, the replicators will be frozen in time and Fifth can come with them. Fifth agrees and begin finally begins to feel that he may belong somewhere. SG1 awakens again with Fifth telling him telling them that he has reconfigured the device. Jack orders Jonas and Teal to return to the ship to get it prepped and ready to go. Jack also doesn't like the idea of taking 5th with them. Carter and O'Neill discuss the situation and decide to set the timer for the time dilation device to go off for five minutes. Now, 5th is worried because that's too much time. If he is gone that long, the others will know and they'll stop things. But he can move much faster than Sam and Jack, so if he waits until just after, say, three minutes... He'll be able to get to the ship in time, and as they discuss their plan, the colonel very subtly and non-verbally tells the major to set the timer not for five minutes, but for three minutes instead. That won't give them much time, but the task is done. She sets the time, closes the panel, and the humans race off toward the ship. Fifth waits in anticipation. He's finally found a community that will accept him. First suddenly appears and tells Fifth that SG-1 has lied to him. Fifth refuses to believe it. They wouldn't leave him behind. They couldn't. Fifth opens the panel and is stunned as the timer counts down to zero and activates the time dilation field, effectively freezing the replicators in time. SG-1 was able to get back to the Prometheus and get the ship out of the time dilation trap in time. However... Both Jonas and Carter feel bad that they used Fifth's humanity against him. O'Neill insists that Fifth was not human and tells the team they did the right thing. They did the right thing. Back on Halla, Fifth and the other human form replicators stand there, trapped in time. The End.
2: The End.
3: And so dear Brent. Mm-hmm. Unnatural selection? Mm-hmm. What'd you think?
2: Um, it's It's been a while since I have watched uh, a television sci-fi episode that I was, like, legit kind of sad that it ended. Hmm. Uh, it's been a while since I have watched a sci-fi episode where the end of the story came and I'm like, wait, that's it? In, like, the good way. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That the time had just slipped by. Uh, that we We get to the end of the story, and it felt like it was exactly the, the the right end of the story, even though I wanted more of it um and that the journey along the way was just trans. it was it it, it was it, it had transported me into this story completely um i loved this episode absolutely loved this episode um I think that uh, the time dilation trap was a clever piece of sci-fi that was plausible and so totally willing to go along with it. Um, That the trap was uh, uh, circumvented was plausible and so totally happy to go along with it. Um, I'm absolutely fine with like, you know, squinting and letting the numbers roll past because space science fiction TV is all wrong all the time, always (laughs) with a hundred things like always. It's always wrong. Space science fiction television is never right. So why are you going to get persnickety about math now? Um, Like explosions don't go boom. The ship doesn't rotate like that. You can't see it against the background of the planet. Like space TV is wrong. Um, So forget it. Um, let's just have the thing be like, yeah, they reversed it and they were able to spend an an unspecified amount of time, though it is, it is large. They have spent a large amount of time. I hear what you're saying. I'm going to go with the other direction. They spent a large amount of time on this planet and they've been able to evolve in their little time bubble in a way that was much faster. I loved that idea. Loved it. Um, I loved that what they became was, um, a human type form that that was able to communicate. And I didn't, I didn't see their actions as nefarious as much as I saw it, um, guided by their own moral compass, which was different and, um, deterministic, which is very common. It's extremely common for a group of people to be deterministic about their own fate. Sure. Um, I,
3: I would I will just say that I tossed in nefarious there for oh, yeah uh, you know, the humorous oh, effect. No, no, no. And I would agree with you that that they they operate under their own moral code, which is not good for the rest of us, but it's Great. totally consistent with who they are.
2: Oh yeah. And uh the introduction of difference within their small but homogenous group was um that was good sci-fi. Um that O'Neill kept insisting that they aren't human while working with two non-humans was almost a flaw in the episode, but it still kept working because of something that resonates with me as a sci-fi viewer. I think it repre- I believe it resonates with an awful lot of sci-fi fans. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with other sci-fi fans where our nerdiness when we were growing up was an ostracizer and watching shows that where humanity engages with creatures that are ostracized, like that are other, and that they fold them in was heartwarming. It felt good to watch episodes of people uh, exploring. Expanding the circle of inclusiveness in the form of engaging aliens uh, creatures that don't feel like they can relate to humanity at all and you know finding the promise and that is enjoyable uh, and here we have the opposite of it you must have evidence of the opposite in order to appreciate what it is to appreciate about it we have O'Neill laying down the line hard that there is humanity, and then there is everything else. And if you're in the everything else camp, then you are automatically at a disadvantage. I hated it, but it was so plausible; it was very much in character for sure. Even though I didn't like it at all, so I'm gonna. And,
3: I, I want to push back on that just a smidge. And, yeah, I guess go for well, it. <laughs> okay, no, no, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, however, um, I, I want to, I I want to give uh. O'Neill just a little bit more credit uh, in that while I think that his character was exactly who his character was, um, I don't think the issue... uh, It wasn't a human versus non-human type of thing so much as it was they're not human even though they think human and if you... I mean, he has to make that tough decision that if you let this thing out, you're letting... The same thing that was destroying everything else out. Um, I don't know how. I'm probably not doing a very good job of of, of uh, maybe. You know. So so it's it it's not quite so uh, in camp out camp thing. It's also the intrinsic danger of what this represents. Um, and whereas the yet the moral question from both uh, uh, Carter and Jonas. Um, this thing has gone above and beyond what his original constituent parts are. Um, And Jack mm -hmm. is unwilling to risk that, which Mm -hmm. has its own problems.
2: Yeah, he's wrong. Jack O'Neill is wrong. That's okay. I'm wrong every day too. (laughs) Um, He's wrong. Um, And he's baldly wrong. The saving grace in this moment the thing that 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 makes his incorrectness not abominable is that what has happened is an extremely clever, humane entrapment that can be changed. the 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 the, the time experience for everybody inside that bubble has slowed way down to the point that it is, for all intents and purposes, stopped, and as the as the episode said at the start, that gives that gives the Asgard humanity anybody else a lot of time to attempt to figure out how to resolve the problem of the insatiable bug replicator problem, right? That is still somewhat present in the human form, e- even though that part was not known to the to the Asgard or the humans, right? Like that that's that's sort of out there the story is probably not going to go back to this. That's okay. I would love for it to go back to it. But, um, you know, th- in my head canon, it is completely possible for, uh, the Asgard and anybody to go back and, uh, like effectively turn off the time dilator. And from the point of view of the people entrapped in there, mere moments had passed. Seconds had passed. Like the betrayal that is being felt by five would still be fresh. It <laughs> wouldn't even had time to sit to a person could come in and go like, like, you know, you could even spin it. Like we made a terrible mistake, but we're here to set it right. And from your point of view, it's it, mere seconds have elapsed. Like, and from our point of view, we've figured out the most nefarious things that we hated about the replicators and figured out a way to, to resolve it, et cetera. It's, it's a perfect prison. It's it's wonderful. But it still doesn't make what O'Neill decided to do good at all. He chose to uh, take advantage of a trusting person. and That's wrong. Now, justify it, rationalize it put it up against uh, some kind of uh, other metric of decisions that have to be made. And yeah, you can have people choose paths that look an awful lot like what Jack O'Neill did. Um, Rationalize it further by saying, Brent, you're being too naive. If, uh, if five had been gotten off the planet, then something else would have happened. And then the replicator threat would have been, would have, would have been just as present as ever. I guess this story gave me literally zero information to that effect. So that's just as, just that, that explanation is just as realistic as my explanation, which is fifth represented a complete change. Fifth represented a, uh, a rising uh, uh, of the replicator threat uh, to the level of replicator people. Um, that the same kind of fear can be applied, not that we apply to replicators, can be applied to every other alien race that we encounter, period. Full stop, and we choose to view these people as threatening and those people as, as as safe. Um, now this is all just delightful stuff that I love chewing on. We've talked, I don't know how many episodes where we've had similar conversations to this. I found evidence of it here again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, uh, my heroes were bifurcated in this decision. Again, I mean, I don't think that Jack O'Neill is bad. My goodness, it was said as plain as the nose on my face right in the middle of the episode while we were watching Teal can um, Jack wrestle over ice cream. Jonas said it like evil. Like he he was basically saying I'm going to paraphrase it because I was too busy watching pints of ice cream go back and forth um, that good people can make evil decisions. He said it right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like I'm 100% in the camp of Jack was wrong. Doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't even make the situation a bad situation. Thank right. goodness for the 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 trap. That's why I'm able to be like, oh, wow. Whew. Yeah, because when people decide, you know what, actually, um, let's give them a second chance. From their point of view, that second chance is going to happen within like just mere moments. I mean, it's going to be so
3: fast. It's great. You know, so I, I find myself in a weird place because mm-hmm. on one level, I 100% agree with you. And... On another level, um, I still agree with you, but I want to argue with you. <laughs> I, yes.
2: Hey, guess what, Zach? Yeah. This is a good story. You know how I know? It's able to allow for a lot of different viewpoints to take a foothold and have a conversation.
3: Yep. Um, so w- there, there's a couple of questions going on here. Is, mm-hmm. um, are the replicators evil? Right. Uh, If the replicators are evil, that is to say, at least in terms of the sci-fi story, they are personifications of that which is fundamentally wrong, Mm -hmm. then uh, our job as people who are moral people who uh, fight against things that are fundamentally wrong are to say no to evil. Mm -hmm. So now we get this place here, uh, and this is where O'Neill comes from. Um, I'm thinking back to an episode. It was a prodigy where they were trapped in that one space. They're on the moon. This is when cadet Haley was there. Uh, And there were those bugs flying around zapping things. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's like, um, well, just wait 20 minutes and then everything will be fine. And uh, O'Neill is like, no, shoot me with a Zat so that I have some protection and I'll go run and I'll turn on the, the stargate. And the question is, uh, who's right who's wrong does it matter does it not matter um Mm -hmm. and uh sam tells Haley in that situation that uh o'neill has to do this this way because if if he doesn't do this then he's risking everybody's life and if he does do this then he's risking only himself Mm -hmm. and that's fundamentally what you see jack do in this episode if they're right, and Fifth should have escaped with them, then now the only one who has to deal with the issues is himself, really. He's willing to put that on himself. If he is, if he is right, and letting them out is a mistake, now he is risking everybody. hmm And that's something that O'Neill will not do. Well, um,
2: okay, stick a pin in that.
3: Um so then you've got this question now I have like three different arguments happening at the same time here mm-hmm. um, because that doesn't directly connect to the evil or not evil although uh, if, if the replicators are fundamentally evil then, then what O'Neill did was not wrong um, however if what is fundamentally evil can potentially be redeemed which is another big thing that I like talking about Now we're looking at do we not, uh, are we not responsible for giving that which is evil, who that could be redeemed, a chance for redemption, which is Mm -hmm. something that O'Neill certainly does not do. And now I'm Mm -hmm. back in your camp. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could continue, but I'll let you talk.
2: Well, okay, at the risk of artificially snipping off some really, really good branch arguments that we could be having arguments in the good way. Um, okay. I'll say my piece, but I'm recognizing that there's an awful lot in here that could easily spin into their own hour long discussions. But The thing that I wanted to react against why I said I'd stick a pin in it. I am not intrinsically disagreeing with O'Neill's decision. I'm sorry. Let me be much more specific. I am not intrinsically disagreeing with O'Neill's decision that he cannot risk having five out of the planet. I'm disagreeing with the means. The ends do not justify the means. The means justify the means. And if subterfuge with a trusting person is how you get the job done, count me out. Okay. Our world may very well need people who are willing to do exactly that. I'm not saying the world should be populated with a bunch of Brent clones. I'm just sitting here going, look, I have the privilege of having a not real situation being told to me in a television story in 43 minutes with characters that I adore and I understand, and they've got a lot of motivational backstory that I am am able to parse and put into my calculus on this one. And a uh, framework that says, Um, A lot of times passed since the last time we saw the replicators. A lot of time. And yes, there's definitely parts of them that are really still not okay. Their definition of consent is wrong. But uh, the. Uh, They uh, don't have
3: a definition of consent. Oh,
2: boy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, something is different right now. And when there is a difference, then the. Rules of engagement must, by def- by definition, change. And O'Neill doesn't let those rules of engagement change. And that's where I'm willing to go bouncing up and down, being like, you screwed up.
3: So, now, so I have a question on that. Yeah. Um, okay. All four of them experienced one of the human form replicators digging into their mind. O'Neill experienced yes. first doing this. Mm-hmm. Now, it's determined that... None of them quite remember exactly what happens, but it's also clear that um, what happened there was at the very least not pleasant. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about consent, uh, it's tantamount to rape in that situation. Oh yeah. Um, Is that enough or not enough to recognize that things have or have not changed regarding the human form replicators compared to previous experiences of replicators. So
2: the, the reason why I'm still so willing to go into the camp of, uh, well, no, yeah, it doesn't change anything. Two wrongs don't make a right. Um, you're correct. Uh, you, the, the replicators, uh, uh, violated the uh, autonomy and control of our heroes completely, mm-hmm. uh, thoroughly um, in, in ways that uh, debase the humanity of our heroes that, uh, that, uh, that tear away at the sense of security that those people have within themselves. And that's heinous. Um, Fifth did no such thing at all um and lying to a creature is also wrong. Lying for your own safety is justified, but it is still lying. Now, okay. And one pretty important thing here, I guess that I really should call out. I am analyzing this with the, with the idea that uh, in the moment of escape, that the power balance has become a bit leveled that um I was feeling like our heroes were starting to get the situation under control in a way that they controlled, though it was by no means um a guarantee mm-hmm. uh and if I look at the story and say, "No, in that moment, they were hanging on by a, the tiniest of threads, and that thread was fifth and the way that that thread stays together is that they have to keep 5th pinned down in that spot. I would have preferred that our heroes open up and and reward Fifth's vulnerability with vulnerability of their own. I would have preferred that they say to 5th, we can't take you with us, but if you do this, it'll help us escape and that's reward enough. And not only that, we very well may be able to come right back because of the time dilation thing, you know, blah, 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 techno babble, et cetera. I would have preferred that that they attempt to convince Fifth of the heroism that staying behind would represent and letting them escape rather than, uh, you know, tricking the equivalent of a six-year-old to do a thing um, and then running away. Like, I, like, you know, even though I have not personally experienced uh, dad going to the... Uh, dad going to the corner store for smokes. And that was six years ago. That was kind of the vibe that I was getting like, uh, sure, uh-huh. kid, sure. Champ, you got it, kid. We're going to totally take you with us to the ballpark. It's going to be great. All right. Well, you just stay right here and I'll come around the corner and get you. Like that was the kind of the energy I got off of that thing. And that's deplorable. Um, but it was within a package that was, Uh, much more complex than dad going around to the corner store (laughs) and get the bag of smokes, right? Like, I mean, Zach, you are not wrong in analyzing this story from a position that says Jack O'Neill was justified in his actions. I'm 100% willing to hang my hat on, on saying, no, I firmly believe that Jack was wrong in how he did it, but I'm not like... Banging my fist on the table, going, "That's not how Jack O'Neill would have behaved." Or if it, or 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 if true, Jack O'Neill's a skeez ball, right? Like I'm not willing to throw him under the bus. I'm not willing to say it's 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 uh, against the hero archetype that he's currently portraying. And I'm also thankfully uh, able to go, "Wow, man, my heroes did not create an irredeemable situation." Because if I had written this story where instead of it being a time dilation thing, it was a device that that blew the planet to smithereens. And there was no going back like then I would feel terrible about this. Uh-huh. Hey, kid, you're awesome. Hey, champ, you just stay right there. We'll come and get you. Yeah, you're right. This thing's going to blow up, but you don't don't you worry. We're going to come and get you. And then he dies. Oh, my gosh. I'd be losing it right now. Um, <laughs> they're trapped. They're in a prison, but it's like the perfect prison. And so I'm able to be like, OK, OK, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing was a this thing was a terrible mistake, but super interesting story and oh heartstrings getting pulled and oh don't 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 do that jack oh man and i have characters that are resonating with that notion like i hope you did the right th- i hope we did the right thing and you can clearly tell they didn't think we did the right thing yep um and it's something that we can back or you know we the the story lovers and the storytellers we can go back and revisit this again i don't think we will but it's possible. And that allows for me to be like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. I didn't like how this thing happened, but this is not irreversible. And that feels good.
3: Right. You know, I, I find this interesting, this whole conversation, um, because I think that in the final analysis, I, I sit closer to your camp than the camp that I have been pounding the table for. Hmm. Um, you know, because if I had been in Jack's shoes, I would have been the one to find a way to at least attempt to let uh, Fifth escape with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that turned out to be wrong, I would have dealt with those, con- uh, those consequences in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, O'Neal clearly chooses the, the other way of dealing with that situation. Um, I'm not convinced that the process, however, of trying to explain, hey, we need you to stay here for this and this, but if we can come back to you and get you, uh, don't worry because it'll only feel like it's been a couple of seconds for you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that line of argument would have worked. Mm. Um, Because I don't think that Fifth was emotionally... Uh, self-aware enough to deal with that argument.
2: That's Yeah.
3: He, You, you, you likened him to a six-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's not far wrong. Um, he knows he's very different than everybody else around him. He knows he doesn't fit in. And to say to a kid who knows he doesn't fit in, just hang in there for a little bit longer and we'll come and get you is like flipping your finger off of that person. It says Screw you. Um, mm. You know, I mean, there's there's that kind of, um, you know, that's not something that that a six year old in that situation is going to process well as a general Mm. rule. Um, So I'm not certain. Well, I would have that would have been really interesting to see what happens. I'm not certain it would have. uh, I'm not certain he would have been able to process that well.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, I can see the argument. I, I. I I'm not saying that the argument shouldn't have been made. No, yeah, 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 Um, yeah, totally. On the flip side, though, if you go that route and try to convince him to stay Mm -hmm. for X, Y, and Z reasons, and we'll come back for you in a little bit, and don't worry, it'll feel like no time at all has passed for you. Um, If you try to make that argument and it fails, now you're really up a crick.
2: Yeah. And that, that brings it back to like, I was in my first watching of this story. I was imagining our heroes having achieved a much with fifths help, no doubt about it, but they had achieved a much more equal footing and it could be just as easily interpreted that no, 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 they did not have an equal footing at all. They literally had one shot and it demanded that fifth stay put. So they needed to figure out how to get the fifth to stay put by any means necessary.
3: So. I think well I don't know it's hard to say for sure um i think I, I don't think that they had as strong a footing as you you were suggesting,
2: yeah, so there's that i think that that's I think that's right, I think that I was misinterpreting their footing in that scene,
3: but I don't necessarily think that um the story had to end with uh fifth staying put I don't think that that was a mm. requirement I, mm-hmm. I I think it could have been um I mean, based on what we know about the replicators right now, you can safely assume that it would take him mere seconds to bolt to that. Even though it takes our heroes a dead run of two minutes nearly to get to the ship.
1: Yeah,
2: that's a, yeah.
3: Um, yeah. So theoretically, you could have set this up to, um, uh, you know, f- for for that uh, the the risk being, and, and here's the other side. Um, If you had set the timer for five minutes and told Mm -hmm. fifth, hey, after about three minutes and, you know, 10 seconds, bolt this way and and we'll get you on board and that'll be enough time and we'll get out. Uh, If that was what happened, now you have a minute, almost two minutes, just, you know, minute 45, roughly, uh, where the other human form replicators would be able to get to the time dilation device and potentially stop it... um, And that would have totally ended their possibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now here again, you have O'Neill trying to weigh all of the options and say, um, what matters absolute mostest for O'Neill is to make sure that the device goes off and stops time. Mm -hmm. It would be wonderful if he's not in there when it stops time. But if it happens that way, well then- Yeah,
2: that's right, yeah, yeah. You know? Yes.
3: Great. Um, And for O'Neill, clearly, in that moment, the only way to ensure that is to keep things especially short, especially tight, and to deceive Fifth. Now, we can still ask the question, as you have, and rightly so, uh, was O'Neill wrong to deceive Fifth? And I think the answer is yes, he was wrong to deceive Fifth. Uh, Was there any other option? Uh, that would have an equal chance of succeeding. And based on what we have, I think the answer is no. That doesn't mean that the end's justified the means and it ceases to be wrong. Uh,
2: and I think I know what my principal beef is with that whole thing. O'Neill, you weren't right. It wasn't the... It, it wasn't the right thing to do. It was the necessary thing to do. Mm. And it stinks. It stinks. Boy, it stinks when the necessary thing to do isn't the right thing. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. We, we, we work hard to avoid that. We work really, really, really hard to make the right thing the necessary thing. And as we should. And we even determine whether or not something is necessary based off of whether or not we can turn it into the right thing.
3: Well, and you also see, I think, I think you've hit on something real good there. I think you're absolutely right that what we saw here is, um, I, I don't think O'Neill could have done anything different, even though it's mm-hmm. the wrong thing, and so the necessary thing happens to be the wrong thing. And here's something mm-hmm. that you know about, uh, that is true about humanity. Is that whenever humanity is faced with the conundrum of having to choose the necessary thing, even when it may be the wrong thing, we mm-hmm. convince ourselves that the necessary thing is not the wrong thing, but the right thing. Yeah. And we, uh, we adapt our moral mm. uh, mm-hmm. system to allow mm-hmm. the necessary thing to be the right thing, even if it's not. Yep. And this leads to things like PTSD,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, depression, and other mental health issues. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm.
3: And, and that the fact that O'Neill is, uh, we haven't seen beyond this episode, but we can safely assume, um, is able to sufficiently compartmentalize that in a way um, that works, or at least that mm-hmm. functions, um, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it doesn't change that the the thing, the necessary thing to do was or wasn't right. In this case, probably wasn't right. Um, but there you go. There you go. So, anything else you have to add?
2: Um, I I I prob- I could probably easily turn this one into a five-hour episode. Um, but. Not without rehashing the same old things. I did um at least want to give a good nod to the acting, which was just a joy to watch all the way around every single character. Um, every single one was 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 a pleasure to be to watch to, like d- develop on the screen such that it was. Um, the set's still a lot of fun. That ship is cool. The camera work. There yeah. was a real great long shot with a steady cam yep. that I noticed i wondered, was I was to
3: mention the steady cam that that was mm-hmm. and and to have that steady cam in the spot where uh, Jonas and um, O'Neill are debating the efficacy of using the ship as a bomb mm-hmm. um worked really, really well mm-hmm. um, uh, so I was really impressed with the steady cam work there
2: the the that humorous moment between Teal'c and o'Neill is there Russell. <laughs> Wrestling ice ice cream, <laughs> like I, I that was fun. I thought it was a little unfortunate that Jonas was getting overplayed. Like he was asking a good line. He was he was he was bringing up some good information, and all I was doing was watching watching ice cream getting wrestled with, which was funny. It was great. I loved it.
3: But you know, i um, just noticed it just popped into my head that that wrestling with the ice cream, who gets which ice cream, and who gets you know, do you get the ice cream that you want, or do you have to settle for something else? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, and then every, the the episode continues without that effort being actually resolved uh, Mm -hmm. is actually probably an unintentional metaphor, but a good metaphor for the rest of the episode.
2: I would be willing to bet that it was not as unintentional as one might think. Jonas was asking the central ethical question right then. And we were watching a couple of characters that we love go back and forth a little bit over something that, you know, it was, it was, it was a shadow play of the story. So it was small potatoes, but it was still, I mean, like who gets the ice cream? Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah. Well, the fact that Brad Wright wrote this, I can, I could then be persuaded a little bit better that, uh, that was more intentional. Uh, slightly. I bet
2: you that, um, Christopher judge and Richard Dean Anderson just knew exactly how to play it so that it was working as it should have. It was supposed to be funny. And it was
3: right. So like, one of the things that I noticed, um, Is that one of the goofs? Is that uh, you see uh, Teal uh, swap ice creams, such that he ends up with the vanilla or the chocolate? I don't remember which one he had first. Whatever doesn't matter. Um, And then when they set everything down to leave, uh, he sets down the other one. Yeah. um, Which suggests to me that that whole scene and such, and the playing around and stealing of things, was almost an ad lib. of stuff yeah. in the time, uh, but even so, uh, I still think it works well as a metaphor uh for the greater question of who gets what? who gets yeah. to make the decision? Um, who has to deal with it?
2: You know what? now that we're talking about it, I bet that that scene was a bit drier. It was Jonas asking the question. We were supposed to sit there and watch it and go, "Yeah, hmm, but I wonder if they caught on camera christopher and richard dean christopher judge and richard dean anderson horsing around with the ice cream and they are like we got we got to leave that in <laughs> like <laughs> that was really good
3: it's entirely possible um both of those guys are renowned for being jokesters yeah. um um but here again you know you got this jokester stuff it fits their characters it fits well it's yes. kind of funny um and I think they, they hit something that uh, actually can, can be a grander metaphor for everything else.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
3: All right, Brent. Yeah. We should delve into our ratings.
2: Yeah, we should.
3: So, uh, I had a delightful time talking about this episode with you. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you very much for that. And so mm-hmm. I ask. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How many chevrons are you going to give Unnatural Selection today?
2: I loved this episode. When it ended, I was like, oh my gosh, it's over already. I was willing to enjoy more story. Uh, I felt like it could have explored the question even further. I lost track of time. I was totally invested in the entire thing start to finish. The episode was so well-structured. It was so well-paced. It w- The story was so tight. The acting was beautiful and so good. The connections, the emotional connections that were being had with our heroes, with the with the um, with the enemies, everything was so plausible. Um, visually, it was really, really good. Even the boring, dumb, flat planet was interesting and visually like interesting. It was just so good. And then it asked a couple of really great questions and gave a plausible answer that I hated. But it got me thinking about why I hated it. And it got me kind of examining myself and to ask myself these questions and what about it was bothering me. And it gave me an opportunity to be reflective about that. And then to engage in the conversation with a good friend of mine along the exact same lines that allowed us to explore it even further and to really kind of unpack this thing. This was a delight. This was just a tremendous delight. Now, I get it. The fifth race, you gave it eight chevrons because it foundationally established the Asgard, which I'm starting to understand why that was so important back then. I didn't really know. But this, to me, is an eight chevron episode because it had done everything right. Everything right. Not one thing was wrong in this one. The math, fine, fine. Great. They did the math wrong. And then the next time that I see the Starship Enterprise go around a planet like that, I'll also point that out, too. No, this thing was perfect. Eight out, of the, eight out of seven for me. Wow. How about you, Zach?
3: Um, I think this is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I said way back in the day that uh, when we first talked about the replicators, I really liked the fact that the replicators weren't personable.
4: That mm-hmm. there was just
3: this force um, that that you couldn't reason with. Um, and yet here you have... Um, human form replicators that you can at least have a conversation with whether you can reason Mm -hmm. with them or not is is harder to tell Mm -hmm. um and on some level uh that takes away that that impersonable force that i actually Mm -hmm. appreciated Mm -hmm. um but still it was done in a convincing and reasonable and um well done way um i i liked the characters um Fifth is a, at least a pitiable character, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if not more than that. Um, and you can look at, you know, I mean, first, you know, he walks over to, you know, he, he thinks of Fifth as weak, but then he walks there and says, no, they lied to you. You belong with us. They tricked you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not wrong. He's right.
1: right. Mm-hmm
3: um so i like that uh the acting is superb all of that stuff i am gonna give this a seven i'm not gonna go the 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 eight yet no i hear you but i'll i'll get the seven on this one no the
2: eight for me watching stargate sg1 for the first time the only time that i'm gonna go eight out of seven is if i just fell in love with that episode wall to wall yep like all the way around i'm not going to be able to understand an episode at the time as being foundation. well it's it the fifth race is an important episode it was it's an extremely important episode and when i watched it i couldn't really appreciate how important it was right okay so i can't give eight in that regard but i can give eight when i'm like this is just brilliant this is brilliant yeah But I also can see how a person be like, this was really good. It's a seven or it was fine. It was a six, you know, like if anybody gives it low marks, well, okay. If they're willing to give it low marks because they think the story was underdeveloped, I disagree with them flatly, but cure was a great ep. was a really good episode. Cure was an episode with issues that I hated because they mistreated the story. So just saying, just, just laying all that
3: out. All right. Well, shall we get to our predictions? Yes. For this episode. We start, um, with Warren. Hi, Warren. Warren says, this has Thor hijacking Earth's new unfinished ship and not taking refrigeration into account. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Hammond, seeing everything disappear, and a new upgraded enemy sticking hands and heads and being inside Jack's head should should see high scores. Seven all around. Yep, very, very, very close. Yep. Um... JD says, an incredibly cool story, cool episode, he says. Six for Zach and six for Brent. Very close. Very close. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to uh, move on to Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan is a new writer, I'm sure of it. Oh, hey. Thanks for writing it, Dan. I thought we weren't
2: doing that joke anymore.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm always really good at stopping things and then not stopping them. (laughs) all right in any case what did Dan have to say dan says so what's a hit sci-fi show to do having to trying to produce the best show possible while controlling costs budget cuts where do those cuts come from actor pay no set design no we'll just we did just debut a new ship Sorry, CGI department, something's got to go. Writers, try to come up with something, would you mind? This episode is decent. I do like oh, the introduction boy. of the human form replicators. I'm sure this will be a short plot twist. Uh, probably not going to be back at all. Lessons to be learned. And boy, is there a lot to learn.
1: hmm
3: One, when during an all-out war, never invite your mortal enemies, who outnumber you to dinner?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: well to be fair the the mortal enemies are the ones who invited you to dinner then what do you do anyway you eat number two time (laughs) machines are nothing but trouble we learned this in back to the future part three i think i think was it part two two? i get so confused i don't remember (laughs) number three when your flagship team is going on a likely suicide mission, always wish them good luck, Godspeed, and all those things you should say when they're about to die.
2: Yep, yep, yep. Number four, Godspeed.
3: grandkids mm. outrank presidents in the eyes yes. of grandparents. Always yes. add grandkids to speed dial number one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Number five. My grandkids? <laughs> when facing the unknown, always place all footwear on the ground first. Do not let footwear fall later on. Yes,
2: that was a good line. I like that one.
3: Yes. Number six. When shoving your hand in someone's head, be courteous and turn the lights on.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Although that was also a good line. I would have expected more lights on.
3: Yep. Number seven. When stealing the contents of the commissary and armory from an Air Force base, paperwork is important.
2: Yes. Otherwise, those requisition forms... Somebody, You just made inventory a headache for something. Yes. Days,
3: Number eight. Sharing is caring, but Teal'c will never, never share ice cream.
2: Well, I took that to be that he's never going to share his fish food because it's the best.
3: Well, there you go. Either way. Once again, this is a good episode, but not one of the best two-parters. As I said with part one Prometheus, these episodes don't really feel like they flow together, making no. it feel disjointed. I'd say a five from me, a six from Brent, and a five and a half from Zach.
2: Fair. Yeah. I loved it, but I hear what you're saying.
3: Try and get a relaxation in the next couple of weeks, guys. The grind to my favorite season, uh, season seven, starts soon. Ah, okay. Ah, yes. Good to hear. All um, right. So, yes, I do plan to hope to take some some time to relax and recoup uh, while I'm gone, and I certainly hope, Brent, you do the same. Yes. Um As for this episode being a two-parter and whatnot, uh, I think you're right, Dan, that this is not functionally two episodes. Uh, Yes, they happen back-to-back, and there is technically a to-be-continued and all of that stuff, but it's not a two-part episode. It's two separate stories that happen to place back-to-back. And for me, when I make that separation, um. I, I don't have to worry about them trying to... It doesn't, it doesn't bother me that they're completely different. Mm-hmm. All right. Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly says, Brentac, seven out of seven. Zach O'Neill, uh, yeah. six out of seven. <laughs> Zach O'Neill! How did I not see that one? Oh, that's so good. Yes. Uh, she continues. I predict yes. that Tilk, Teal- Jack, and Ben and Jerry's will trigger enough of the Bane Factor to Brent... <laughs> To for jump to bump it up to seven, it's a Bane. solid, morally rife episode. And yes, um, and that's it.
2: This was delightful. I love this one, but yes, I also did like the Ben and Jerry.
3: Uh, I, I will respectfully say this is nothing, this is not on for me the Bane factor. Um, the Bane factor is something oh, yeah, weird. No. I, I don't I, understand I... the Bane factor,
2: no one does, Zach. That's why it's so marvelous. Uh huh. You look at the scintillating possibilities, and that's the Bane
3: factor. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Tim. Hi, Tim. Tim says, this is one of my favorite episodes. I love Mm -hmm. the end. I feel Jack is 100% correct. If they hadn't Mm -hmm. tricked or at least left, Fifth, the replicators uh, would have escaped. Uh, And 100% wrong. Fifth (laughs) did have humanity, and lying to him was wrong. So... Tim uh, sits there with that 100% yes, 100% no. As in a couple episodes back, I like questions where the answer is not an easy yes or no. I will give Mm -hmm. it a seven out of seven. Brent and Zach Mm -hmm. will like this one, I think, because it ends up focusing on one question, not five. Brent will give it a six. If Brent gave half (laughs) scores, I think he would give it a six and a half. And Zach will give it a seven.
2: You're on the right track.
3: Yep. Yep. Uh, Brent actually... Oh, okay. All right, sorry. Uh, I was looking forward. Uh, Brent likes it even more than me. He gives it a I eight. loved it. All right. We have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, Hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I really like this one. I can see some deep conversations happening with this one oh, about yeah. doing the wrong thing for the right reasons and what does it mean to be human? <laughs> After all, humans are just <laughs> organic machines Given the story and the look of betrayal at the end, I predict a seven from Zach and Brent. I'll miss you guys as you go on break, but I'm glad you finished this episode before doing so because, honestly, the next episode, in fact. Hey, no spoilers. La 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 So, you guys, see you guys when you get back. Yes. Looking forward to it. All right. Sean. Hi, Sean. Says that Brent Locator will give it a six and a Zach Locator will give it a six.
2: oh no our planet is getting overrun by bretlicators do you know what that means
3: early bedtimes and pizza for
2: all
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right
3: sean continues this episode is simple yet highly effective writers struggling with how to make the replicators more of a nemesis see what i did there uh, evolve uh, them over thousands of years in a single episode. Genius! Mm-hmm. Expecting lots of moral discussions regarding humanity. I look forward to Brent watching um, stuff in the future. Things. Stuff and things. Uh, Helio. Awesome. So, Hey, Helio. Helio says, 7 out of 7 for Zach because of mm. stuff. And mm-hmm. 7 out of 7 for Brent because it gives a lot to discuss. Helio. Ah, yes. Oh, oh, the the H in Helio, Alio, is not pronounced in Portuguese. Oh. Ah, it's Alio. So, so uh, help me out. Is it more of an Alio or an Elio? I don't know how you can type that in, but as best you can. And I apologize for mispronouncing your names. Thank you for uh, correcting me. Yeah. I will try to do better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And also like,
2: yeah, just. By all means, please let us let me. I'll speak for Zach too. I think you're on the same page as I am. I love to learn the right way to do things.
3: Yes, you know my my last name is constantly mispronounced. Everybody says it one way, and it's not how it's supposed to be. So I yep. get it, uh, and so I try to make sure that uh, I try to say names, people's pronounce people's names the way they want it to be pronounced. And that's yes, right. So uh, I will try to do better on that. Uh, I'm going to go with Alio, but if it's uh, help me fix me fix fix my pronunciation. Fix it up. In any case, so he says eight out of seven chevrons for himself (gasps) because I love this so much uh, and I don't care about the mistakes in it. Uh, He continues, I love this episode. The jokes about Jack wanting to call the ship Enterprise, Teal stealing Jack's ice cream, no fridge for the food, important things to discuss in this episode. Fifth yeah. being bullied by his own kind as an inferior yeah. being. The definition of moral we are superior, yeah. so we should act, accept your fate. So you should accept your fate and be conquered. The trick Jack made Carter pull on Fifth using his own humanity against him. How Carter yeah. complies with the deception even when she does not agree with it. Military yeah. ranking and all of that stuff. Yep. Jack yep. being consistent like when he shot Reese. Absolutely to make mm-hmm. sure of the outcome uh missing daniel jackson's point of view uh mm. and having to see carter doing his job um mm. yeah you know i i do i in the one episode uh, section where you see um jonas and uh O'Neil, uh debating the the bomb issues and this is the steady scene i really mm-hmm. kind of felt like that was almost Daniel Jackson being spoken by uh, Jonas that mm-hmm. said I think it is consistent with Jonas to have done that mm-hmm. but I get what you're saying yes agreed yep um, would have been ni- a nice episode to see a discussion between Jack and Daniel that's true mm-hmm. anyway uh, uh, good discussion uh, there's, there's some typos in there that I'm having trouble with so Awesome. Nice. So thank you. Thank you very much, everybody, for those. We do have a couple of emails.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So
3: uh, we will begin the emails with Aunt Susie. Hi, Aunt Susie. Aunt Susie says, this is one of my favorite episodes of season six. First Mm -hmm. off, we get Supreme Commander Thor hijacking SG-1 and sending them on another impossible mission. Mm -hmm. The guest stars are first-rate familiar faces, Ian Buchanan First, who has been in every soap opera ever made, Patrick Mm -hmm. Curry (laughs) Fifth, who has played multiple SG-1 roles, uh, as well as a guest role on BSG, and Mm Tam O'Pettiquette Third, BSG's Carl Hilo Agathon. Best Mm -hmm. quote, and there are a lot of them, Sir, We Can't Call It The Enterprise. Yes. Teal, stage business in the Ben and Jerry's ice cream scene is inspired fun. Jonas Uh steps up enthusiastically to the Daniel Jackson role as mediator and conscience. The episode Uh is filled with humor and callbacks to past episodes, but it all takes a very dark turn with the betrayal of Fifth as O'Neill and Carter use his naive trust against him. Uh This act of betrayal that is going to have... uh, Yep, major. Yep, yep. Um, yep. Right. this one's a seven for me. Mm-hmm. I hope that Brent and Zach both give it a seven too. Well, oh, I gave more than seven. I am sorry, Susie. We did not both <laughs> give it a seven. Uh, we failed to meet your hopes in that regard.
2: I suppose that's true.
3: But Brent did give it an eight, which is technically better than a seven. So maybe we exceeded your hopes. Eight has seven in it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you have to get to the seventh stuff before you get to the eighth stuff. That's my point. All right. So we have then finally David. Hi, David. We are the Chevron encoding bias buffer. <gasps> no, David is a Chevron encoding bias. He, uh, Shoot. upshoot Clearly. Okay, like the last two episodes, there is another setup for the future. Mm -hmm. The replicators have evolved. The Asgard are on the ropes, and all we have done is delayed things. I mean, yeah. It does offer some good debate in the whole, what right do we have to do this to them argument. So Mm -hmm. there's that. I appreciate that the whole concept of the human form replicators, uh, but ultimately, whatever. Mm -hmm. brent will give this five chevrons for philosophical conundrums and zach will give it five and a half chevrons for replicator advancement
2: nah this was brilliant
3: um i mean i get it though there you go there you go all right thank you thank you david thank you very much everyone for uh the predictions and such i am excited about that thank you now brent Yes. The next episode that we are going to see, admittedly it's going to be several weeks from now, but it will yes. happen, is titled Sight Unseen. Sight Unseen. And I ask you what Sight Unseen is about. Sight Unseen.
2: Hmm. Next time on Stargate SG One, the SG One team travels through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. But they aren't the first to arrive on this strange world, as I have said. I don't know how many times before. But also, um, that one system lord who is like, uh, kind of on the outs. What's her name? The invisible one. Near T, begins with an R. Near T, begins with an N. On that planet, they find that Near T clearly has been here they see that she has chiseled her name in cartouches uh, as graffiti on the sides of the walls nefertiti was here <laughs> and they say to themselves oh no nefertiti was here but where is she they start to walk through the city because we're going to be in a city after this one and which is weird the gate is never in a city except for like a rare couple of times anyway they start walking through the city and they they, they, they don't see anything. They don't see anybody. They don't see any cars or vehicles. They don't see any nothing. They see nothing. So they just start walking across. The street. Bang! Oh no, O'Neill has been struck by some Bang! He was struck again! Oh no, he's getting run over by invisible vehicles! Oh they stabilize him, thank goodness, because Frazier's nearby, and I totally nailed my elbow on the desk. So that's totally gonna make it into the final cut because I'm not gonna take it out. <laughs> and they and so they, they, everything they hear screeches everywhere, but they see nothing. And they start rocking out the road. What's going on here? Oh no, they don't know. Take us to your leader. Who are you talking to? I don't know. I can't see see anybody and it's near t and she's invisible and i just decided to try to make an entire promo on near t and whether or not you can see her because i was going to try to make it's totally hey good news zach we're gone for three weeks maybe by then i can come up with some new material for these promos
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh join us next time on stargate
2: sg1 sight unseen
3: well that's entirely a possibility
2: that uh, we go to an invisible place planet?
3: Uh, Sure. It, it could happen. And it... Oh, golly. I'm just knocking everything over. Ugh. Oh. All right. Ugh. Oh. Brent. Ugh. Oh. Yeah. Are you okay?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm fine now. Everything's fine.
3: How are you? I I,
2: I am fine. I have my device. All the other devices are still plugged in. I'm still recording, and I am ready to watch the promo for Sight on Okay. Sight. Now, but we have weirdness with this one. Don't
3: we, we do. So our good friend, David, uh, decided to give us a couple of versions uh, of the promo. And so we're going to start with the first one. Um, uh, Brent, was actually start with version two, and then we'll go to version one. Uh, We'll start with version two, then we'll go to version one, um, and uh, we'll see what happens. Are you ready? Okay, I am ready. All right, hitting play now.
4: Next time on Stargate SG1, an alien device causes unforeseen problems at Stargate Command. Okay, you're certain it isn't big. Well, as certain as I can be without knowing what it is exactly. Are they alien invaders? Oh, no. oh, what? There What? You're telling me but you don't see that? Are they hallucinations? Uh, Wait, he knows. uh Uh Uh-oh. Sir. Uh Uh-oh. Or are they something far worse? Oh, man, is this Bane Part (laughs) 2? (laughs) It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Oh!
2: Oh! 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 That's fantastic! All right. Oh man. Okay, but now we got to watch the now other. Now we're one.
3: gonna watch uh, version one of yeah, sight okay. unseen promo. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. I uh, hit play now.
4: Next time on Stargate SG One. Uh huh. The SG One team brings back another piece of equipment from an alien planet without investigating it, and guess what? It starts to cause all sorts of problems. <laughs> <laughs> At first, only Jonas Quinn is affected. Colonel! Wait. There. Yeah. You're telling me but you don't see that. But eventually, everyone starts seeing the giant bugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sir. And not just in Stargate Command, but everywhere. Oh, no. And then it spreads to people who haven't even seen <gasps> the device. How do you think they're going to get out of it this time? <laughs> Find out on the next Stargate SG-1.
2: Oh, man. I'm so looking forward to this. This is great. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's delightful. Oh,
3: I'm looking forward to that. So is anybody going to end up in a cocoon? We will have to wait until next time to find out. Yeah, that's going to be a long time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you, David, for not one promo, but two promos this week. Yeah. Thank you. Um. You know, tell us what you think about uh, anything that we talked about in this episode. Uh, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmod.com. Of course, Twitter at Stargate Walking and Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and group and all of those fun things. And mm-hmm. if you feel so inclined, go visit us on patreon.com slash walkingthroughthestargate. And with that, have a great few weeks as we spend some time off. uh, And I hope you enjoy, what are we on? The other side of the gate six, is that right?
2: Yes, other side of the gate six. In uh, a couple weeks. Up in a few weeks.
3: Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. Cool. Uh, So with that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time.
2: Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.